Gosh, this is so awesome, man. I never in a million years thought something like this would happen. Out of turn number four come the most powerful weight models on the planet, the world of outlaws. I call Scott my dad, and uh, <laughs> nothing like the best in the business breathing down your throat your first outlaw win. Yes, episode number eight of Stick Signals, and man, do we have a barn burner of an episode coming up. We got a bunch of interviews, a bunch of news and notes to go over. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome. My name is Ruben Morales, and this is the official podcast of the World of Outlaws, Morton Buildings Late Model Series, and Dirt Car Racing. Mick, what a fun weekend. And Mike, yes, welcome, my friend. What a fun weekend. Uh, Mick, how are you doing, first of all? I'm doing well, man. I got to go to the track last weekend, and I get to go to the track this uh, upcoming weekend. Yes, that's very exciting. You've been on the road for three weeks in a row. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a lot of time at the track for me. And, and man, we've we've had a good stretch of racing. Mike, my friend, as always, it was a pleasure working with you. It was fun. Uh, how, how are you? I got to admit, a little bit of Midwestern jet lag. I am not used to the time change really at all. So it's been a been an interesting couple of days. But other than that, you know, doing good. And hey, we got a quick turnaround. We are right at Bristol, but we'll get to that later. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, get into our news and notes because we have a lot to cover here this week on Stick Signals. Um, big news, obviously. First, how about this? Two first-time winners with the World of Outlaws Morton Buildings Late Model Series this weekend, Mike Spatola and Bobby Pierce. We'll, we will talk to Bobby in just a little bit and talk about that crazy finish. You hear from him on Stick Signals later today. Uh, let's get this out of the way real quick. Rock Gold Memorial moved to September 2nd, 2021. Mike, you were busy, man, that, that Friday getting that press release out. That is going to be on a Thursday night because Cherokee Speedway has something going on that weekend. So the Rock Gold Memorial moved to Thursday, September 2nd. Uh, more information on the website. As you all noticed, Tony Jackson Jr. was not at the Cherokee Speedway. Now, granted, there was only 90 points awarded that Friday. Saturday was postponed, and Tony Jackson Jr. fell 90 points. Well, guess what? Tony Jackson Jr. did not enter at the Farmer City Raceway, so Tony Jackson Jr. off tour. Parker Martin Jr. did not show up to Farmer City. He's off tour. Ross Bales, big shocker. He was 10th in points, guys, and didn't show up to Farmer City. That was a big shocker. And obviously, David Brazil, brand new Jay Dickens in at Cherokee Speedway, eight laps on that engine, and kaboom, it went. So it's unfortunate. We're starting to peel the onion here down to two rookies, but there's now a third one, and Mike's going to give us that here in just a little bit. Mick, I want to get you in on this one. Big note. Kyle Strickler loses crew chief Vinny Guliani and has Cody Mallory. Now, remember, we talked to Bobby Pierce in episode one that he was with Cody Mallory now. Well, those two split and departed ways a couple weeks ago. And now Cody Mallory was with Strickler this weekend. I mean, Strickler just absolutely had a bad weekend. Mick, you were there in the engine change, but they were just also having generator issues. I mean, anything right. that could have gone bad went bad for Strickler. Strickler's having a little bit of one of those, you know, those spells that we all go through and uh, Vinny's on a, technically on a leave of absence. There's a possibility that he comes back. Um, but yeah, those guys were struggling. And, and so much of that work's being done by Kyle himself as it is. He's the crew chief, the driver. He's doing everything there. And, and then they lost that engine there going out to qualify. I believe it sounds like it was a, a the rod. They cracked a rod, spit it out the bottom. So tough luck. Uh, he did. He made some spots up in the feature. Um but I know he's looking for better finishes than that, and, and hopefully at Bristol he can get some turnaround. Yeah, Shepard gained 42 points on him. He had a 66-point lead going into the weekend. Now Shepard only trails by 24 points, and we'll touch on that here in just a little bit. But yeah, Strickler, that is that is tough. And with Strickler having a tough weekend, um, 
let's just talk about these Illinois bad boys. I mean, you guys know me, Dirt Car Summer Nationals. <laughs> I, I told you, Mike, you were going to love Farmer City. Did you love Farmer City, by the way? I, I got to ask you that. I did love Farmer City. It was awesome. The racing was out of this world. And I mean, really both nights, edge of your seat action. You can't ask for much more than that. Mick, you sent me a message. You said you loved Farmer City. I I did. I, that's my McNugget for later, but I'll go ahead and give it now. Um, A year ago, you couldn't have told me that that racing for late models was good on a three eighths less than a three eighths mile i love big tracks right like i like half miles i'm a half mile guy but that little bull ring was action all the way around the track the entire time they came off a four and there was some bump i swear half those guys were in the air all the way down the back stretch so it, yeah. it was amazing racing it was fantastic it, it was i love illinois and i'll touch on that just a little bit but yes uh news and notes illinois bad boys uh mike spatola obviously winning that one night and looking ahead to dirt car summer nationals obviously we'll have our brian shirley we'll have our bobby pierce we'll have jason fager frank heckiness but how about this driver this pilot really caught my eye ryan unzicker the number 24 he was in a pierce car he switched to mb custom he had never driven mb custom before First night on it, got second. Ryan Unzicker is going to be fun to watch in the Dirt Car Summer Nationals later on this year, which, by the way, you can watch, obviously, on Dirt Vision. So get that fast pass now. Uh, Mike, you, you got a very good nugget. You know, we going into this week, we talked about Brandon Shepard and, you know, how he was probably expected to win one of these two events. But he kind of dug himself a hole both nights qualifying. He struggled and he had to go through the last chance showdown both times, winning one on Saturday, but both nights ends up being the hard charger of the race. Goes from 18th to 5th on Friday, 18th to 3rd on Saturday, and you do got to wonder what may have happened if there was a caution as well, or more than one caution, as he got up to 3rd and was sitting 5th when that caution came out after 70 laps of green flag racing. And on his interview in the front straightaway that night, he said, I could have still gone a couple more laps. I was coming. So yeah, Shepard, th that's the thing. He just how you said, set himself behind in qualifying, and he he knows that. He said that as well. So if Shepard starts figuring out this qualifying deal, he's going to be up there. And, I mean, he already did a big big bite into Strickler's point lead. So uh, Shepard's back. And, obviously, with Strickler's struggles, that means Gustin uh, improves. Ryan Gustin, the other rookie of the year contender, moved up three spots in the points. And, Mick, it's how you said. Strickler's going to go to the Midwest and pound the cushion on this black dirt. And he's going to be like, oh, this is what I've been missing. Well, guess who said that too? Ryan Gustin. Ryan finished in the yeah. top. 10 yeah. the first night. Yeah. Gustin did really well. He is back. Uh, he moved up three spots in points. Don't count Ryan Gustin out of this yet, guys. You don't fear the Reaper. That's basically the only way you can say it at this point. He's coming exactly. and he was really impressive early on in the night in that 19 machine. Yeah, and with this swing coming up, obviously Bristol, that's going to be a curveball, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But you have Boone and Mississippi Thunder tracks that Gustin is, is good and confident at. So it's going to be interesting to uh, look at Gustin coming up. So keep an eye on the Reaper. Uh, Mike, you uh, have a very good uh, news piece here as well. Well, we do have a new driver officially on the tour here in 2021. Tyler Bruning will be joining us, and he currently sits third in the point standings heading into this event. Only 86 points back, and teammates, of course, with the Georgia Bulldog Shane Clanton as well. So you've seen those guys. Bruning has been quiet this year, but he's been consistent. Yeah. That's the thing I like about him. Yes, exactly. Tyler Bruning back in uh, uh, Sunshine Nationals said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm between outlaws or another tour and Bruning said I'm going to make a decision later this year well Bruning running third in points and he moved up he was actually fourth going into the weekend he moved up one spot on the weekend and he's only 86 points behind which by the way guys we got to touch on this between third through eighth in points check this out third through eighth they're all within 18 points wow 
<laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to believe that third through eighth is only 18 point difference. Uh, they're, they're all right there in points. So yeah, Tyler Bruning on tour. That is going to get exciting. Let's talk about the points real quick. Uh, Kyle Strickler still has the point lead by four, uh, 24 points over Shepard. Bruning moved up one. He's third. How about this weekend? Dennis Herb Jr. Uh, moved up two spots. He's fourth in points now. Ricky Weiss had a tough weekend. He moved two spots down in the points. He was third. Now he's fifth. Kyle Bronson. You got to feel for him. Didn't get in that show that first night. And he, he man, I feel for Bronson because he, he didn't make the show that first night, but he didn't sign on tour. If he would have signed on tour, yep. he, he would have been eligible for a provisional. Yeah. So he's sixth in points. Chris Madden. Moved up one spot. He's in seventh. Cade Diller. Yeah. We got to touch on Cade. Cade, obviously, we talked about him winning a race earlier this season and get building that momentum. Jimmy Mars was in the house. MB Custom. You saw Ryan Unzicker, how good he did in MB Custom. That MB Custom camp is starting to starting to build and really be good. Cade Diller got second that final night. He moved up three spots in the points. He's eighth. Lanigan had a tough weekend. Moved down two. Bloomquist rounds out the top ten. Um and we talked about Ryan Gustin moving up three. So that's kind of where the points are right now in the top 10. Mike, uh, if you have any more. Oh, no, my last note, I, I got to say, I love Illinois. I mean, the Illinois Bull Rings. I, I can't wait to be back here. Obviously, we have the PDC with the World of Outlaws, Morton Buildings Late Model Series coming up. I just love Illinois. The fans, the you, you guys were there. The autograph session, the the way they cheered. And I, I one thing that I really loved about Farmer City Raceway, Tyson Graves, their announcer, before the first heat race, he'll be like, what do you say, race fans? He counts them down. One, two, three, and the whole crowd says, let's go racing. It's just such an electric crowd. I love it. Um, So that's my final note. I just love Illinois. Puts me in a good mood. Um, Mike, Mick, what do you guys got for news and notes? Well, the one thing, too, uh, you talk about the love in Illinois and the drivers from Illinois. Dennis Herb Jr. really having a good weekend. Moving up the fourth, he also got the Slick Woody's Quick Time Award on Saturday night and qualifying Boy, was that a curveball for not just Shepard, but a lot of guys, especially on Friday. It wasn't like it was just Shepard. The hometown guys really made sure to make it tough for everybody this weekend. Right, And Dennis was really on a move there through the main part of the feature there. And he hit that turnoff four. I watched it happen. And he, I don't know if he bent something or what, but he just kind of, he got, looked like he had no forward bite after that and kind of started to fall back. But he was really starting to charge towards the front there too in the feature. And, you know, you were elbows up for 70 laps. Like I I think to say it again, 70 straight laps of green flag racing, like we didn't get a chance to breathe. No. And and also with the whole green flag stretch, remember that last night, it went green basically all the way to the end. There wasn't a caution until the end. Right there. I thought we were going to see PDC 2019 over again. I thought Shepard was going to get there. I was, I was, I don't know. It was a good finish anyway. It was it was great to see Cade lead like that. I mean, it was a good finish, man. Those last five laps, the whole race was good, but the last five laps were amazing. Yeah, those last five laps. And, you know, before, when that, when that caution came out, Rick sent it down to me, and he's like, well, Ruben, what are your final thoughts? And I told him, I think Cade is going to pass Bobby on the bottom. And be, listen, I announced the Dirt Car Summer Nationals race. Uh, it was two years ago when Jason Fager first went into the MB Custom. And he, his nickname is the high side hustler. I said the high side hustler is going to win it on the bottom because MB Customs are so good on the bottom, it, it paid off. Cade just went down there and passed Bobby, but he, he we all know Bobby Pierce runs the top. Cade just didn't block the top. But man, two seconds for Dillard this year. Remember Evolution? He came oh so close that one time. I think the Thriller is going to have a great year this year, guys. I'm with you on that 100%. And it, again, impressive run for him. And it, you know, kind of a bit of a heartbreak. You take the lead and then a great move by Bobby Pierce to to end in heartbreak. But, I mean, you, you can't ask for a better story to finish that race. No, and especially a guy that needed a lot of momentum. And Cade was one of those guys that needed that. All right, well... 
Mike, Mick, do you guys have any uh, last other news notes you guys got? I, I just want to say that, I mean, I know it was the hometown boy that won there at, at Farmer City, but I, I don't think I've been to a short track and heard that much cheering. I mean, it was oh, yeah. it was electric. And the fun part was there was maybe not an equal amount, but there was a fair amount of booze in there too. And that, that's what I like to hear, <laughs> right? Like I like to hear the crowd just reacting. It was a big contrast from Friday and Saturday night yes. involving Bobby Pierce. Yes. That <laughs> is all I will say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say the Illinois is probably one of the best, is probably the best region for dirt late model racing. And the fans are very passionate and they know and love and hate their drivers. It, it, it's Illinois, baby. And I love it. And I can't wait to be back next time. We'll be in Illinois. We'll be with the dirt car summer nationals. Um, so we can't wait for that with the outlaws, obviously Fairbury. So, all right, let's set up Bristol here. Um, Mike, you want to, you want to explain, obviously there's only been six total features ever run at Bristol. You want to break them down. So there's us. only been six. There was one, in 2000, in 2000, I'm so used to saying a year after at this point, back in 2000, 21 years ago, and it was Dale McDowell who picked up the win in that one. The next year, they came back and ran three races. It was two 30-lappers and a 60-lapper to finish the weekend. Bloomquist and Mars split the 30-lappers, and it was Black Sunshine again in the 60-lapper. So right now, in, late, in super late model competition, the winningest driver is Scott Bloomquist when it comes to Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, I got to talk with Scott a little bit on Saturday, and the cars are way different from the last time that they, they raced there. Now, there's also been two races at Bristol Dirt Nationals earlier this year where Chris Ferguson picked up the win on Friday night, but the big event was Jonathan Davenport, who's been on fire of lately, so he's going to be tough to contend with coming up this weekend. We talk about Bristol Motor Speedway being super fast, guys. 19 degrees of banking. Uh, you look at Ricky Weiss. That la The only time we've been there, was for that test. Ricky Weiss was the fastest. Brandon Shepard was second. Yes. With Ricky Weiss struggling this weekend, do you guys think Ricky Weiss bounces back and possibly gets a win at Bristol? I think he was fast there, and and so much of that track is uh, is about having the balls to do it right. And he certainly wasn't scared to go down there and, and lay down a lap. So I think he's got a good chance. Um, I, I don't really know what they're struggling with there, but. Uh, I'd like to see him run good. I think the redraw for this Morton's Buildings feature is going to be the most important one all year. Because if you're able to have a fast car and get out front, yeah. you're going to be tough to beat. It's not saying it can't be done. I don't want to take that away from anybody. But you're right. Weiss, he knows he's got a fast car coming this weekend. Have a little bit of confidence. And there's another practice session coming up on Thursday night, which is going to be helpful for a lot of people. Brandon Shepard back in that session ran 156 laps. Yeah. <laughs> These guys have seen a lot of laps on this racing surface. But the other thing is, has the track changed since the Cup Series was there? Right. That's that's a question and a curveball that none of us really know going into this weekend. I would think that it has to change a little bit because it's had so much rubber and, and oil and everything else put down on it since we did the tire test. I've got to think that it's changed some. It'll be interesting to see just in which way. Now, Ruben, I got a question. I was not able to get to that test session back in March. How much did the track slick off during that test session? You know, there was only, if I remember correctly, seven drivers there. So it really didn't slick off that much. It was pretty hammered down towards the end. And I think towards the end of the practice session is really when the track started to uh, clean off a little bit. But no, it did not slick off that much at all when we were there for the test session. And just to remind everybody, the lap time that Ricky Weiss turned was a 15.266. That's four seconds faster than Kyle Busch, who had the fastest lap of the race in the Bristol race last week. But that's what I'm wondering. If this slicks off, it's going to be a little bit different. And it's possible because of what you're saying with all the oil and water that's been in there, how different will this track surface be? Mm -hmm. Guess we'll have to find out. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and don't forget, we also have the Dirt Car UMP Modifieds. Now, 
Obviously, right. Strickler won there back in March. We have a lot of heavy hitters coming in this one. Uh, you, you talk about Nick Hoffman, David Stremme, David Rudiman, which, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, had a second place with NASCAR there one time. So David Rudiman going there in a modified mm-hmm. now. You have a bunch of, you know, very talented drivers like Tyler Nicely, which, by the way, congratulations to him. Just won that modified race at Farmer City for the American Modified yep. Series. Yep. Uh, Mike McKinney, Michael Altabelli, Matt Crafton, uh, Garrett Stewart, just so many good drivers getting ready to tackle uh, the Bristol Motor Speedway with the Dirt Car UMP Modifieds. And that's all happening this Thursday for practice, Friday, Saturday, two separate shows. Bristol is going, it, it's Bristol, baby. I mean, what what else is there much to say about it? <laughs> that's about it. It's fun. I, I've already uh, done a little bit of prep work on uh, NASCAR Heat 5 just by racing around. You can, <laughs> you, with the late models, you can run Bristol on the dirt. You can't with the cup cars. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's just, it, it's fun. I mean, I have never been to Bristol. Of course, I have never been to any of the tracks on our schedule this year. We've already uh, touched on that. But obviously, Bristol is a track that if you're a short track fan, you gathered to that when you were a kid. And it's something I think all of us can say we're excited to get there and see some racing action live. Yeah, I agree. All right, Mick, I'm going to put you on there. Give us your Mick nugget going into the weekend. I think that the racing to Bristol is going to be more side by side than people think. I think that there's sort of this common theme of people thinking it's going to be so fast that it's going to be single file. And I, I... don't think that's going to happen. Watching the other racing that's happened there, it, it does slow down a little bit. The cars slow down. They end up side by side, and I think it's going to be an amazing race. Now, Mike, do you have an opinion, uh, thought going into this weekend? I really said, like like I was saying, qualifying and the redraw are going to be bigger than they have been all year. You're going to have to get a good yes. jump on the night, no question about it. And I will go ahead and right now, and I will give a prediction. Both winners will come from the front row. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, I want to give you my prediction on that. So listen, I, I think we, we will see a driver that hasn't won with a series that qualifies. Well, possibly win. I say possibly because look, Brent Larson, for example, last year, he went to Williams Grove. I believe it was Mm -hmm. a big track and fast time qualifier, right? You look at boom Briggs, boom Briggs set track records last year. And he was at the test. Yeah. Like these guys qualify so well, but have yet to win an outlaw feature. Think about it. If Boom, Briggs, or Brent Larson set fast time out of nowhere, they start on the pull of their heat. They're in the redraw. They start in the front row, how you said. I think we see, possibly see, a Boom, Briggs, or Brent Larson. I would love to see that. Yeah. Can you imagine the celebration of Boom Briggs were to win? It would be amazing. <laughs> there would be a lot of bush light consumed in the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, setting everything up for the Bristol Bash happening this Friday and Saturday. You don't want to miss it. If you can't be there, uh, dirtvision.com has it live. And it, there's still tickets available at bristolmotorspeedway.com. Join us for the Bristol Bash this Friday and Saturday at you know celebrating 60 years the last coliseum standing again this friday saturday april 9th and 10th we hope to see you there mike warren my friend if you have anything else i mean we'd love to hear from you if not thank you so much again for joining us on stick six i'm just i hope everybody enjoys this weekend's race in bristol i mean you there i'm already speechless and i haven't seen a lap be turned around that place i'm just really excited to get there (laughs) and get going the place is pretty magical you're gonna love it when you when you pull up to it oh yeah sweet well i'm glad they have a in-care uh 
you know, health center because I'm pretty sure I'll probably infield care center. <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure I'll probably have a heart attack once I see about two, three laps of racing. I'm just gonna be so excited. But yes, yeah, well, so you'll, you'll be up in the booth calling it. You won't you won't need the infield. They'll just take you right out back and put you in an ambulance. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I will be in the booth during the Bristol Bash announcing the Dirt Car UMP modifieds. My good friend Rick will be announcing the World of Outlaws, and we're gonna have actually Georgia Hanneberry, uh, Matt Yoakum, and Ashley Strummy down at the infield. It's gonna be a very good yeah. production. So heavy if, hitters. Yes. It really is. It's going to be a fun production with Dirt Vision. Again, get your tickets now at bristolmotorspeedway.com. And if you can't be there, dirtvision.com. Dirt Vision presented by Dryden has every lap live. Mike Warren, thanks for joining us on Stick Signals again, my friend. Thank you, sir. Getting ready for this weekend. We'll see you. Well, Mick, before we get into today's interviews, we got to thank Manscaped. Stick Signals is sponsored by Manscaped, the global leader in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and is now available in the USA, Canada, uh, UK, and Australia, and New Zealand as well. Uh, we have an exclusive offer for our audience every Stick Signals episode. Use Stick Signals. 21 to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the movement and the other 2 million men who have trusted Manscaped. And by the way, Mick, uh, got, we got to thank them. I just got my kit delivered. Uh, really cool packaging, really neat. Uh, so go race fans to uh, manscaped.com, stick signals 21, use that code and get that 20% off plus free shipping. If you can't go to the World of Outlaws, Morton Building's Late Model Series events, don't forget store.worldofoutlaws.com. Get all the merch you want right there. We have merchandise for all ages, from hats to shirts to koozies. I think we even got things for the woofies, so go check it out, store.worldofoutlaws.com. Be an outlaw. Join the challenge to show your outlaw status and be a leader in the outlaw community. When you register for free, you get insider access, adrenaline-packed audio and video content, VIP perks, swags you can't get elsewhere. Start the challenge show the world you are an outlaw and experience the next level of the greatest shows on dirt start the challenge at beanoutlaw.com well we uh talked about it two first time winners this past weekend at the farmer city raceway in the 11th annual illini 100 we talked to one of them let's talk to bobby pierce here on stick signals on stick signals now is none other than the driver that has won the world 100 he's won just about Anything Dirt Lane Model has to offer. I mean, for God's sakes, you won the dome, but never an outlaw feature until now. Bobby Pierce joined us in episode one. Bobby, how does it feel to officially get that monkey off your back with the world of outlaws? Well, it's just great. You know, it's a long time coming. It was everything about it. You know, just we've worked so hard, you know, me and my family and anyone that's ever been involved in it, sponsors and everyone that's helped me out. Uh, I just finally get it. You know, it's definitely, you know, weight off my shoulders and, you know, like I said many times, we've we've been so close many times, and just stuff happens. You know, and I, heck, I thought that caution coming out and that restart when I messed it up, I thought I was like, well, here we go again. And um, you know, luckily we, uh, I was able to hit my marks, get back around them, and it was awesome. You know, uh, heck, I think I was about as excited to win that race as I have been like any race really. Now, one of the things Bobby through this race, you were smooth through lap traffic the entire time riding the top. But at one point it seemed like you were struggling to get around slower traffic on the app on the outside. You know, what were your thoughts going through that when it was tough to clear guys? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple radios out there and that doesn't help. And, uh, you know, some guys made it tough, but you know, they're, you know, trying to stay on the lead lap and doing what they can do. And, you know, can't blame them for that. But uh, you know, actually, lap traffic kind of helped me. You know, I, I seen there in the video once I watched it that Strickler was kind of holding up Thornton, and uh, heck, that 
you know, who knows, maybe that's what led Thornton to break the drive shaft because he was just having to drive so hard. And, you know, it, it sucks because you don't want to have to use your equipment up too much and your tires uh, racing the lap traffic because, you know, you can battle a guy for 15 laps and burn up your tires and then a caution comes out and the guy that maybe was riding around in second or third or fifth or who knows what place has better tires than you can sneak up through there. So, yeah, it's a challenge and you got to be patient, but, uh, man, it drives you nuts sometimes, you know, especially when it's a long race and, uh, you know, when you catch them so quick, it's just, yeah, it's pretty frustrating, but you got to take your time and get what you can get and, you know, not be, not be too aggressive with it. Bobby, you're known for, you know, pound in the cushion, that right rear quarter panel. If it's not destroyed, you didn't do your job right. <laughs> so talk about how treacherous that cushion was. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in the car, of course, it feels pretty rough. And, um, you know, you're always, as a driver, you're thinking, hopefully everything stays together. You know, every every hard hit you take to it, it's, uh, you know, there's not, there's never a thought that doesn't go through your mind. It's like, man, something's got to break here soon if I keep doing this. So I got to cool it. And, uh, Actually, when Cade passed me on that restart and I went down the backstretch and I bounced really bad, um, my my foot fell off the gas pedal for like a split second just because I bounced so bad that my, you know, my leg bounced around and it fell off the gas pedal. And so it was pretty rough. And early like today, you know, yesterday I didn't get around to wash and stuff because it was Easter and, you know, we had a little Easter get together with some family and, and all that and uh, played some Warzone at night. So just kind of relaxed yesterday. So today I'm getting around to wash and everything. And taking stuff apart and i'm looking at all the sheet metal damage i'm like man <laughs> it's, it's rough and i haven't even got some maintenance in the car yet so we'll see what we find now when you finally got into victory lane you got out of the car and heard the crowd roar what did it mean to you to be able to get that done at farmer city oh dude it was uh i mean it was awesome just you know, I, I wanted to be able to hear the crowd's reaction when that restart happened when Kate passed me and i passed him back and you know, i'm sure just the crowd went nuts and uh and I really appreciate all the fans coming out watching. I know Dirt Vision gets a lot of viewers too. So yeah, it was a it was an awesome race there. You know, it could have been not a boring race, but you know, I guess I was somewhat making it kind of boring, you know, just leading the whole time. And, you know, luckily it was an interesting race with things still working out on my now, Bobby. Brandon Shepard obviously came up to you there at the end. I don't know if you saw the picture on the World of Outlaws Facebook page and Twitter. Uh, what did Brandon tell you after the race? Uh Heck, what did Brandon tell me? I think he was just like, good job, you know, and um, heck, really, sometimes like post-race stuff is a blur, you know, because your emotions are going everywhere and you're kind of also coming down from the adrenaline rush, but you still have it at the same time. It's, it's, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes stuff gets into a blur. and um, But, yeah, he, he congratulated me and, and Kate did too. And, um, you know, I think they were both, you know, they, they both were – how do I say, like, they knew eventually I was going to be getting a World of Outlaw win. And, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not saying, like, obviously they wanted to get the win, but in, in a way they were like, you know, I think they both felt some sort of way, like, you know, like, like maybe I deserved it, you know, or something. So, yeah, I, I felt that from them. You know, they congratulated me. And, and uh, you know, heck, Brandon, he stole the World of Outlaw win from me when he slid me at uh, the Predator Classic. And, you know, it was a good slider and everything, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So 
finally got her done. So Bobby, this obviously you and Cody Mallory split ways. You you couldn't even play Warzone or, or you relax or anything because you were working till five a.m. in the morning, basically every single day <laughs> last week. Like, how much more rewarding did that make it feel? Because I mean, there was at one point where you didn't even have a crew for this weekend. Yeah, and you know, I still don't have like a crew like during the week. I mean, my dad, you know, he's kind of going back and forth from uh, you know the other shop. Um, you know, working on customer stuff and, and doing all that that he does and come back here, help me out a little bit. Um, then my sister, you know, last week she had like maybe two nights, I think, where she came over after work and helped do some tires. So that really helped out. And the, then we were at the track, you know, I had, uh, quite a few guys come and help and, you know, that, that goes a long way, but right now I'm kind of struggling because, you know, it's just so much to do to get ready for the next weekend. It's just kind of me back here right now. So, um, yeah, it's tough, but you know, I'm working on getting some guys, you know, so, you know, cause when summer, summer comes around, heck three guys isn't enough, you know, you need as many as you can get and it's, it's always tough. So, um, yeah, but you know, all the hard work pays off and, uh, it's, it's good that it worked out. From the Gulag, he said, I, "You gotta love it." For those that don't get it, it's a Warzone reference, and uh, it, it's just awesome. Bobby, uh, again, Warzone reference. He self revived, came back, and got Kate and got it there at the final lap. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And and last thing I want to ask you, Bobby. Um, obviously, you drove rockets for a couple of years. In the past two years, you've been back in your Pierce cars, and there's been talk. Oh, Bobby has to go back to a rocket. He's not going in his Pierce cars. Well, I think we could actually. But, you know, end of the conversation, Pierce Platinums, they weren't gone, but I think they're back. I mean, you you have a good program going right now with those Pierce Platinum cars. Yeah, you know, I, I feel pretty comfortable with it. And, uh, you know, Farmer City is a track we should be pretty good at. But, um, you know, really, it's been the same car I've been racing uh, all this year. Um, like I raced the other car at Florence and got second with that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, everything's rolling pretty good and, you know, we're going to Wheatland this coming weekend. Uh, you know, we'll miss Bristol. Uh, I mean, I'll, you know, I, I'm assuming they'll have Bristol some more like in the coming years. So I'll, I'll go, but we're skipping it this week going to Wheatland. I mean, I feel pretty good. You know, we can go a lot of places and get wins. Um, you know, I think, I think just, uh, you know, the more you do this stuff and the more you race, obviously, the more you learn and, you know, the better you get just, you know, perfecting your craft and, um, you know, I can, I can try and be the best driver I can be, but sometimes you have a, have to have a really good car too. And I know it went around farmer city really well and I won Volusia with it. So those are two pretty different tracks and, you know, we were good at Ocala and, you know, a lot of that stuff. So yeah, Pierce cars, um, you know, they seem to be going pretty good. Of course, you know, a lot of, a lot of cars are good. It comes down to the setup, but, um, you know, maybe we have a car that's pretty versatile on a lot of tracks. Yeah, you talk about Volusia. You almost won the Dirt Car Nationals. Obviously, it rained out that last night. It was a close points battle between you and Devin. But uh, yeah, no, Bobby, again, congratulations on your World of Outlaw win. We could talk for days, but we just wanted to get you on stick signals and congratulate you on your first win. Yeah, thank you, man. Welcome to the Gulag. Mick, uh, that's cool to see Bobby Pierce win and Mike Spatola as well. But we had to interview Bobby just because, you know, it was a, it was a thrilling finish to the Illini 100. Right. And, and you know, on the show, we always want to get uh, first-time winners on here for sure. And that, 
I don't think there's a driver that's more deserving to finally get one is, is Bobby Pierce there. It was definitely a good one. And obviously we'll see Bobby later on this year during the year and the dirt car summer nationals. Well, today on stick signals, we want to set you up for Bristol and we want you race fans to get excited. So we want to get you the inside deeper stories and Mick, your background in motorsports and being, you know, a uh, part of a part of teams and stuff. This, this is a great interview coming up. We talked to none other than the man with a plan behind rocket chassis, the dirt Lake model hall of famer, Mark Richards. Joining us on Stick Signals now is Mark Richards, the owner of Rocket Chassis. And obviously, we know what Rocket Chassis does on the World of Outlaw Circuit and all of Super Late Model Racing. Not to mention, he is a Dirt Late Model Hall of Famer. Mark, thanks for joining us on Stick Signals. I got to ask, were you at Bristol in 2001? Uh, 2000 and 2001. Now, how would you compare? Obviously, technology has changed tremendously since then. What can you take from that going into this upcoming weekend? I don't know. Um, you know, back then, our our engines were not quite as much where it was probably two to 250 horsepower less back in those days than what we have now. So that's a pretty big factor on the, you know, the, the capability of the speed of what the cars can go. Um, as far as the chassis itself, um, you know, back in those days, the technology wasn't what it is today. And, you know, for us to be able to go there and run data acquisition, and get, you know, actual numbers of what the car's doing, it's a lot better than what it was back in those days. You know, in those days, it was a lot of guessing. And, um, you know, we all kind of helped each other in those days because, um, you know, there was a group of us that ran together that had rocket cars. And, uh, um, you know, we would work together and one would try something and, you know, we'd kind of bounce ideas off each other where today, you know, we just go run data acquisition and we kind of have the information in front of us, you know, of what, you know, the direction we need to probably go. Right. So, so back in the day, you're probably just measuring like shock travel and now you got load sensors. Well, what was good for me was, you know, we got to go there and test and I, I ran a lot of, we ran a lot of laps. We had Brandon to run a lot of laps and, and, you know, late in the, the day I was pretty much out of tires what the biggest problem was and mm -hmm. and we didn't have our stagger what we started with we couldn't get no more and we'd lost you know uh, over half of the amount of stagger that we was raised running and we needed probably more than what I started with so was we was fighting a problem but it was we was gathering information that made it really good for my customers to be able to give them an idea of where to start that's that's the biggest issue is, you know, having information for our customers. And we had a lot of customers that went there and, and, you know, uh, they weren't out of the ballpark, you know, and that was the thing that I was worried about because, you know, for people to go there and not have uh, the right information of where the travels are on the car and being able to compensate for that, you know, it's, um, you know, it could be uh, dangerous, first of all, because, you know, those travels are way more there than they are anywhere else that we go. So, you know, we was able to get enough information that I could come back and sit down and look at look at the data and come up with a baseline setup and get our guys in the ballpark. And that's the biggest thing that, you know, we ran all them laps for was to try to have an idea, not only for, you know, Brandon's car, but you know, for all of our customers. Sure. 
Now, I, I've set up stock cars to run run at Bristol on asphalt before, and I know the kind of load numbers we see when we pull down a car there or have data on those. What what kind of – well, without giving me the farm, have you seen load numbers like that before? Was it insanely high or anything stick out like that? Yeah. I mean, this is this is a thing that, you know, is a concern to me about Bristol with, with the kind of cars that we have. You know, uh, we never seen the amount of Gs that we had there uh, anywhere that we've ran that acquisition. And, you know, I mean, I'll throw the number out there. We've seen 4.2, which is, you know, a lot of G-force in one of these cars. And, um, you know, as far as our final number, it was probably not quite double that we'd seen anywhere else, but it was close to double that we'd seen anywhere else. That was at 15.2, you know, time-wise. You know, the, obviously that number comes down as this track slows down, but, you know, if we go there and the track's fast, I mean, it's a considerable amount of load on the car. Um, and if you figure, you know, four Gs and the car weighs 2300 pounds you're talking about a 9000 pound vehicle now you know plus right plus the air load that we you know see um with our loads uh as we're we're gathering that acquisition and and uh that's been surprising for what we've seen on air loads this year uh this is the first year that I've really paid attention to it uh you know with the combination of the data acquisition and the pull down rig um, and, and I'd never used a pull down rig until this last stint that I went out and ran, we went to Josh's shop and they had one. And I said, I want to pull it and see where the load numbers are. And, you know, these cars are getting a considerable amount of load from the air today. So all that factored in, I mean, the numbers are big at Bristol. I was watching you guys pull out a camber out when we were there, um, I, it's a and n car years ago. We had to actually get a right front upper control arm made there because we didn't have one short enough. Um, are, are you having to make new parts? Are there, there things you have to beef up and just kind of out of the box? Well, obviously, you know, we built lowers and lower control arms because that's kind of a uh, marginal piece, you know, to begin with on these cars. And the tie rods are a little bit marginal so we build heavier tie rods and heavier lowers but as far as uppers i mean they're available it's just a matter of what length you want um and actually we did it with uh just basically taking the camber out with shims uh when we were there testing and it was just to get the heat down on the inside of the right front tire which even the cup cars from what i've seen on friday they were wearing the inside edge of the tire really bad uh, with the tires they had there. So it's just a matter of, you know, this is the first place that we've had this kind of heat, you know, on the inside of the tire, which obviously the load is what's, you know, causing it. So between air pressure and camber, you know, we actually got it cooled down. And, you know, it's just, it, you know, we're using as much camber as we can and, and most racetracks, it's not an issue. In fact, about all the racetracks we run, it's not an issue. There's there's one other track that I know of that the camber becomes a problem um, if you're running the amount that we normally run. And, uh, you know, 
there at Bristol, the, the heat on the inside of the tire was the craziest we'd ever seen. We'll, we'll touch on that in just a little bit, Mark. Um, but is there another track that compares to Bristol? I mean, because you guys are all about baselines. Is there any other track that you can get a baseline going into Bristol? The only thing that's somewhat close, and it's by far uh, not what Bristol is, but it's it's closest thing that we run would be Taswell. And, uh, you know, we run some pretty big load numbers there. We've never run debt acquisition there. So, you know, we're kind of, it, it's been one of them deals over the years we've learned where we've had to go there. But um, as far as the whole car, the load numbers at Taswell are not where they are at Bristol. With your data acquisition, can you see um, those loads over time? Can you tell if those cars are seeing load on the straightaway like they are in the corner? Or is it just a peak load? Oh, no. it's We can check it anywhere. So are they seeing quite a bit of load on the straightaway as it is, just with the banking? Well, it changes, you know, because you lose uh, lateral load mm-hmm. as you're going down the straightaway. But uh, these cars are loaded. and uh, the way the suspension works, the left rear is really loaded in the middle of the straightaway. The rest of the tires or all the other three tires kind of lighten up a little bit once you lose the lateral load down the straightaway. But as far as, you know, the dynamic force that's driven into the car from the suspension, the left rear is loaded a lot. I noticed that the cars there were, were, kind of sealed off on the nose because sort of going like for a delta that we would go for in an asphalt car uh to stay sealed off are, are you guys running bump stops or coil bound or is that sort of what you're trying to do is stay, stay with the nose sealed and then let the tire take the load into the corner um we want to stay sealed but uh you got to realize uh we can't seal up completely because if we seal up completely then we get with the way our bodies are shaped and everything. Uh, we we got to have a little bit of an air barrier under the car. I mean, got to be a little bit. When, when I see a car completely sealed, it's usually not good because then um, the air takes over, and you know the car really is not doesn't have a good balance at that point. Uh, I like to see you know an inch inch and a half of air gap. Um, you know, from the nose. Being sealed up completely is an ideal on these cars. Uh, you know, we don't have a sway bar. So we got to have a little bit of cushion for the bumps. And, uh, you know, without a sway bar on there to um, increase the suspension rate, uh, we got to be careful about being sealed up completely because we'll get on the nose itself and then you can't steer once you lose you know, once the nose starts dragging. So, um, it's, it's a balance and we're not, we're, we're, we're on bump springs or bump stops at the final, you know, half inch of travel. Mark, um, one big thing that fans pointed out was you playing with that right rear spoiler. And we saw that I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know the right rear spoiler off means less force on that right rear tire which we'll talk about tires in a bit, but explain to the fans what that does with a car when you're playing with that spoiler. Well, if anybody's ever ridden on an airplane and when the airplane goes to land, you'll see those flaps come up. And basically what those flaps do is create downforce on the top of the wing. And that's what forces the plane 
down to where it takes the lift out of the wing. And what we're doing with the rear spoiler normally is trying to slow the air down that's going over the, the deck of the car. And the more spoiler we can run and the, the steeper we can run that angle, the more downforce we have. So what we're doing at Bristol is basically taking downforce away, similar to what the, the cup cars do at Talladega or Daytona. Because like, if they can take the downforce away at those tracks, the faster they go. All we're doing is allowing the air to not dam up on the actual deck itself or on the, on the top deck of the car. That would be the hood, the interior by the driver, and the rear deck behind the driver. When you dam that air up with the spoiler, you create downforce because the air that's going over top of that car is going slower than the air that's splitting and going under the car. So that's what causes the downforce. The same as that airplane when it lands. That airplane, the wing is designed to lift, okay? And you'll see an airplane when it lands, the first thing they do is throw the flaps up. That's a little bit of the brake, but that's the cause downforce on that wing. And it make that airplane stable. And that's all we're doing with a spoiler normally. Now, when we lay it back for somewhere like Bristol, it's because we ain't got enough engine to pull it. And, uh, you know, it basically allows us to go faster. Like, you know, some of the cars I've seen that raced there last week, um, you know, they had the spoilers pretty much laid back flat on both sides. So now talk about that right rear tire concern. How do you approach strategy compared to other tracks? And how, how Mick said, we want we don't want you to give us, you know, the secret info, but like, you know, uh, how these tires warm up, uh, how they grow, how's siping, grooving, all that going to come into play? Well, I think we're going to see less grooving, less siping there because of the speeds. And I think what we need is block integrity. Um, you know, normally we cut and site harder tires to get the block to move a little bit and create heat. And um, I think that that's the last thing we're going to want is the block moving, you know, because uh, I think uh, the NASCAR guys have proven that already with the tire wear and stuff that they've had already. We need the whole block to be there to cut down on the amount of heat that it builds. So I think you'll see less grooving and siping at Bristol than we do anywhere else. I've got a uh, Andy Durham tomorrow morning to talk about engines at Bristol and, and going into the test and, and into the last week's events, I heard a lot of people talking about the wear and tear on chassis, but it seems like there people are a little bit concerned about engines. Um, have you seen anything with your engine? Do you have, is that, is there anything to that? I, I mean, truthfully, I, I don't think there's going to be any more wear and tear on the engine. Andy gets a little wound up about it, but <laughs> you know, if you keep it cool and you know, um, the way engines are built, the type of engines that are, that we're all racing there, whether Andy builds it or Clements builds it or Jack Cornette builds it or, you know, whoever the engine builder is, Vic Hill, uh, pro power, whoever, those guys are building engines that are capable of running pretty much like a cup engine, you know, and uh, with the oil and stuff we have today. And other than the heat, and it's the same problem the cup cars are having right now as we're talking, 
you know, the biggest issue they got is the heat. And that's the problem that we may have a little bit of is with the heat. And the heat could cause some engine failures there. There was some concern that the track might be single grooved um, during the test, but we saw some good racing during the events uh, held at Bristol these past couple of weeks. And there have been thousands of laps put down since then. Do you think a second groove might come into play here at Bristol? I don't know if it's so much the groove, it's the speed. And if we're in the low 15s, it's going to be one lane. And, you know, if the track can get slowed down, then, you know, you can have multiple lines. The, the problem is the speed. That's the biggest problem. And when we were there, you could not have raced too wide running, you know, low 15s. But when the track slows up to 16, 17, 18 seconds, like it did last week, um, I think you got a better chance to have some racing. And, you know, the obviously, the blacker it gets, probably the better chance we have of having a little bit of racing. Uh, when there's one lane and it's wide open, wherever that lane is, whether it's in the bottom or halfway up the racetrack or wherever the cushion, what little bit of cushion that that thing builds, Wherever that winds up, that's where the lane's going to be, and you're flat on the floor. I mean, we ran, we ran 15-2. We never lifted. So, you know, it's flat on the floor. <laughs> that's, 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 that's fast. Now, Mark, do you have any final thoughts going into Bristol? I just hope that everybody stays safe. I mean, that's the biggest thing, and that's been my concern from the beginning, that, you know, um, we get out of there, and, you know, nobody gets a lot of equipment tore up, and, and nobody gets hurt because, um, you know, obviously it races tighter than what people thinks it does. And even with the racing we seen last week, um, when it was, when it was actually fast, there wasn't much racing, the slower that it got, the better the racing got. Well, it's certainly going to be very interesting going into Bristol and Mark, we thank you so much for uh, sparing some time out of your day and joining us here on stick signals. No problem guys. Thanks for having me. You know, Mark is obviously a legend in the sport and, and you, you listen to him talk about cars and just his knowledge is is so deep. And I love talking to car guys because it's sort of a language that I speak. And, um, man, I got to get to know a little bit more about these chassis. I, I might go hang out with him for a while and learn to set one up. Yeah, you may get a job at Rocket Chassis here, Mick. I may have to be <laughs> a new, uh, new uh, guy on the show here. But, yeah, it's Mick, you know it as, as, as well as I do and everyone else. This is a science. I mean, the engineering that goes into these machines, it's crazy. And, yes. and, and I don't, we didn't talk about this, but Nick Hoffman posted on Facebook. I have a NASCAR technical Institute cause that's his engine builder engine that is only good for 5% of races. And the 5% is coming up this weekend at Bristol. So he's putting that big puppy in there. I mean, you got to bring the, the best equipment you have to Bristol. For sure. And I mean, as we're about to hear, our next guest is Andy Durham from Durham Racing Engines. Um, there's a lot of key components. Everything has to be tight and right. You know, your engine has to be primed up and serviced and your chassis has to have all the parts in places. And, and Bristol's a unforgiving place. If you have a, a loose nut or something somewhere or a loose end, it, it, will, uh, it will be exploited and it will show up. Uh, but our next guest is Andy Durham, like I said, from Durham Racing Engines. We had a, a quick conversation about late model engines in general and, and uh, what it takes to build a good one for Bristol. How did you get into uh, building engines? Um, just, I guess, 
younger, I wanted to, I guess, to get into it. wasn't, I guess, wasn't raised around all this. So, um, I had to, I guess, teach myself, so to speak, because I didn't get to go to no trade school or anything like that to learn. So just, I guess, trial and error kind of thing, I guess. <laughs> and then you worked for Roush Yates for a little while, quite a while, actually. When did you open your own uh, engine shop? In March of 2014. Gotcha. So you've been doing this for a while and you've, you've built late model engines. You've built stuff. That, you've got engines in Australia and I think you built something for Ryan Deegan, too. Yep. Yeah, we did stuff for Brian Deegan for the off-road truck series. And um, and then, of course, we do stuff for guys in Australia a lot. and Just kind of a little bit of everything, I guess. Well, let's talk a little bit about, first of all, what what engines are in a Dirt Super Late model? Um, so we do um, the D3 style Ford engine. And then we do um, a little bit of that RY45. And then, of course, we have a, a Chevrolet that we do an 11 degree Chevrolet package. So Bristol, a lot of guys said, you know, at first that they thought there's going to be a lot of wear and tear on chassis. And then it seems like at the end, they were kind of wondering about engines because of the sustained RPMs. Uh, you've, you've already had a lot of engines run at Bristol. Have you seen anything stand out? Um, not really. It just, um, I guess the biggest thing is, is, is the fact that they do have a high sustained RPM all the time. Um, which we typically don't see in our engines, um, you know, most tracks we go to. So I guess the verdict's still out there as far as how bad it's going to be on them. Um, but I know like when we went and tested a couple weeks ago, like the low RPMs were 7,000 or 7,200 and the highs were 86 or 8,800. And it basically was around the track the whole time like that. Right. Have you had a chance to tear down any engines from the testing? No, not yet. Um, we, we won't have, um, probably any back for probably a month, you know, or so left, you know, cause they, most guys went with fresh engines just to not take a lapped out motor and have it, you know, goofed up right off the bat. Talking to Mark Richards yesterday, he, he said that, you know, chassis are becoming sort of pigeonholed. They're sort of getting very similar. The competition's up or, or stiff. How do you see the world of late model? engines is it getting similar um yeah i guess you know everybody's got their own kind of their own flavor on how they attack the engine i guess because uh, i know some guys are building really big cubic inch engines and some guys are kind of middle of the road and um and then of course everybody's got their own flavor of head and things like that that they use um so i guess yeah to some degree it's getting where the engines are pretty um I guess I'm saying pretty close as far as power and torque, but the design I think is still kind of way different. Um, Cause if you take like Vic's engines, he runs more of a, um, a NASCAR, a NASCAR style head, like what we do with our D3 kind of, and like Clements and Jack, they still build engines with inline valve heads. So instead of a cannon valve head, so um, just a lot different design, I guess, from that side of it. Do you see, this style of racing ever going to a fuel injection like like nascar has gone to i hope not <laughs> i mean it, it obviously from the mechanical side of the engine the fuel injection is better because you can trim all that stuff out and get all the cylinders perfect and and all that but from the cost perspective it would it'll drive the teams broke and i still think that that's why the lucas oil off-road truck series right um 
lost so much of their competitors and actually shut that deal down in the wet on the West Coast because they didn't have no competitors. Because like when we did Brian Deegan's engines, you know, each fuel injection system was a minimum of twenty thousand dollars. And so then they had to buy spare harnesses, spare computers and all this stuff. And then when they had three engines, they're outfitting these these wiring harnesses were ten thousand dollars a piece. Well, Deegan had three or four engines, so he had to buy a ten thousand dollar wiring harness for every engine because they change it at the track. They got to be able to put the engine in and just plug the harness up. They can't be taking harnesses off other motors and all this stuff. So, you know, for him, it was a hundred thousand dollars to switch over to fuel injection over the wintertime. Wow, which is just is stupid. Yeah, that's a huge cost, and I also would assume those ECMs don't last forever, especially in. in off-road trucks what kind of carburetors do these guys typically run are they like a nascar 390 or or 750s or no they're typically open carburetors so you know we're like we go off a kind of venturi size not really cfm Mm -hmm. so it's anywhere from an inch 450 to an inch 590 venturi carburetor Mm -hmm. and those things are 15 to 1800 dollars for that carburetor you know versus Twenty thousand for fuel injection. <laughs> yeah, that's quite. And there's still a lot of things you can do to a carburetor. I remember we used to disconnect secondaries and things like that on a shorter track. Do you find yourself doing the stuff like that in dirt? Correct. Yes. Um, you know, same same principle. Um, we do a lot of that, and then of course a lot of the teams are messing with restrictors under the carburetor. Mm. So that that seems to help a lot too. I imagine for Bristol, you're pretty wide open then, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're not running no restrictors and them things there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think uh, when I was at the tire test, I think, I mean, they barely lifted. It is more cracking the throttle than, than lifting. Right. Yeah, they're very, very hard on the engine. Yeah. Um, any big plans this year? Are you going to go out to any of the big races? Yeah, I'll probably go to all the Crown Jewel stuff. Um, and, of course, um, we go a lot with Mark and them guys just trying to help them all we can. Um, from that side of it and and we've got some testing we're doing you know for internal stuff on the engines that we're getting ready to start on ourselves here and which just trying to put more reliability in the engines you know from that side of it right um last i guess we always have to hit on this right now but you know 2020 was a weird year did you are you seeing business come back did it really affect your business at all um to be honest, it didn't really affect it too much last year, but it seems like it's affected this year from the vendors because now all of a sudden, I guess all these vendors have people that are out with COVID and, and not coming back to work. And But it seems like a lot of my vendors, you know, where we're, you know, maybe two or three weeks out on normal delivery dates, now we're six or eight weeks out. And sometimes even further, like, I know, like some of the manufacturers that produce blocks and, and stuff for us. You know, they're saying, you know, eight, 10, 12 weeks out for them parts where we're normally, you know, four weeks out on some of that stuff. Yeah. Don, Donnie Schatz told me that at, at Volusia, we were talking about the the Ford engine. He said that that supply chain has started becoming the problem because things that normally would take a little bit of time to get are taking months. Right. Yeah. And I know one of my contacts at Ford, you know, we use the Ford block from Ford for our dirt late model engine. And outside machine source that they use to machine the blocks to rough them out before they come to us you know right out of the foundry 
you know, there's, I think the last time I talked to them, they had 80 employees that they were down. Wow. It's put a big kink in, in getting our blocks for our late model engines. Um, just because that outside source is down 80 employees. Like, so I don't even know how many hundreds they have, but right. <laughs> obviously it's a lot because if you're 80 down and like, I'm just thinking like, Oh my God, they're going to shut down. But, but yeah, it's a, but as far as the business, like most people seem to still be racing and still be wide open. Um, you know, like from the customer side of things. Strange times. Well, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your morning, sir. And uh, good luck this year. Yep. All right. Thank you. What a great show it's been. And after hearing what Mark Richards had to say and what Andy Durham had to say, we're all set up for Bristol. We have a good setup going into the weekend. So let's uh, finish up with some house cleaning notes here, Mick. Uh, obviously, uh, Dirt Vision. Busy weekend coming up here this weekend. Uh, uh, Wednesday, obviously, eSports uh, Tour Big Blocks at Williams Grove and at Eldora, the Street Stocks. Thursday, World of Outlaw Late Models at Bristol Test Night. Now, this is going to be a full blown production it's going to be on facebook youtube it's going to be everywhere it's a full production how i said me and rick eshelman in the booth we have ashley stremmy georgia hannaberry and yes matt yokum um for those of you that don't know who matt yokum is obviously he was nascar on fox reporter for i believe 20 years so yes matt yokum will be joining us for the broadcast it is going to be full blown broadcast thursday world of outlaws practice at bristol friday the world of outlaws obviously night one of the bristol bash then the world of outlaws sprint cars at the kokomo speedway and a Williams Grove Speedway as well, weekly racing there in Attica Raceway Park as well on Friday. Saturday, second and final night to the World of Outlaws, Morton Buildings, Late Model Series, Bristol Bash. Also the World of Outlaws Sprint Cars at the Tri-State Speedway in Hofstad, Indiana. That track is fun. And the Super Dirt Car Series at the Can-Am Speedway yes. on Saturday. Yes, the Super Dirt Car Series back in action, Mick. That's going to be exciting. That's their season debut. And boy, those guys did not. I mean, they had Oktoberfest last year, but they did not get enough racing. And those guys love it up there. And now they're home again on Dirt Vision, and uh, you can see every lap live there. Yeah, that's going to be very good. So there you go. That is your Dirt Vision guide for the weekend, and that's really all the housekeeping notes we have for you race fans here on Stick Signals. Again, episode eight was phenomenal. Thank you all so much for joining us. And, hey, fans ask for longer episodes. We listened. Again, thank you so much for supporting and listening to your friends, family, coworkers. Let us know that you like it at just Mick for Mick on Twitter, at Dynamite underscore Ruben on Twitter. Let us know. Thanks for joining us on episode number eight of Stick Signals. We'll be back next week. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. 